0: at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the episode. Second Corinthians, chapter number seven, and look at verse number eight. Paul speaking: For though I made you the Corinthians sorry with a letter, referring back to the first uh, first letter of Corinthians, the first epistle, I do not repent. Though I did repent, there's a little bit back and forth. I I, I don't regret it, <laughs> but. Somewhat I do. I mean, I, I'm struggling here because it was a bit confrontational. If you read through the first, uh, first book of uh, Corinthians, he had to deal with a lot of sin. For I perceive that, that the same epistle that hath made you sorry, uh, though it were but for a season, now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive uh, damage by us in nothing, that you wouldn't be injured. Verse number 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Let's read verse 10 out loud together. Ready, begin. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And I want us to listen to this in verse number 11. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And we'll look at that verse particularly a little bit later uh, tonight. But look at verse number 12 and let's catch the rest of this context. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it, did it not for his cause that had done the, the wrong, nor for his cause that it had suffered wrong, but our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. Yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed, but as we spake all things to you in, in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you all in all things. And there's a happy ending to this story. What a blessing it was that the Corinthian believers responded to that letter and were continuing to grow and be transformed by the word of God. Let's pray and ask God to help us today, would you? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be together Thank you for the privilege to open up the Word and, Lord, my privilege to share the Word this morning and our privilege to listen and to fellowship in the Word. Uh, Lord, I pray that by your Word we would be transformed today and that this year would be a year of transformation, that you would be changing us more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I need that. We need that. We desperately need your help in this, and so I ask you to do that. And I also ask, the Lord, today, that if, if there is, is one here that does not know you personally, does not know when they, when they die, that they'll spend an eternity with you in heaven, that their sins are forgiven, God, I pray that you would draw their heart by your love and your truth to yourself and that they would be saved today. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to work in our hearts. Help us to rejoice in what you're doing in our lives and through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Back in 2009, my family and I um, began to look for a house, and it was throughout that year. I, I didn't see how we were going to be uh, uh, going to do it. We had set aside a little bit of, of money that we were able to uh, to save and save up for a down payment, and I was like, still, you know, how in the world are we gonna are we gonna do this? We were living in a one bedroom uh, duplex. Um, a side-by-side duplex and our family we had jack at that point and uh so it was only one bedroom so he was in the bedroom and i I believe we're we uh, we were getting close to having another one and so there's just some growing pains there and we needed a house and and so we began to pray about it my wife really began to look around and she uh, she looked everywhere. She went with a realtor and she looked everywhere and she brought me to this one house She says that this in our price range. This is going to be a good. This is going to be a good situation I walked up to there's a sign on the door. It, it talks about being you know uh, winterized and it had it, it had been uh, kind of closed up and walked inside and I man the stench that was in there and it was Obvious that some um, coons had made it their home and maybe some uh, some uh, uh, Other folks had uh, crawled in through windows and, and made it their home and it was a giant Giant, giant disaster, not to say the least of which. Uh, bright orange walls. Uh, walked into the kitchen. The the ceiling, because of water damage, evidently whoever left it before just left water running or didn't uh, didn't turn it off. The ceiling was actually all the drywall was down. The plaster was down, and and there was a fan still there, but it was all just caved in uh, above it, and it was just a disaster. Now, um, some of you know my background is uh, uh, construction and, and painting, and so. I know a little bit about these things, and I also know uh, that it was going to be a lot of work to get this thing in, in order, and it was going to need to be gutted, especially in in the bathroom in the kitchen area it was a, It was a 1920s home, and so it, it just had a lot of a lot of challenges and There was also a little bit of an interesting as you walked into the kitchen, you started walking downhill. do you know, you know what I'm talking about? And is this thing eventually going to cave in? Um, But it it really needed to be jacked up in the center of the house. So a lot of things. So it was uh, right ahead of Thanksgiving. And I uh, needed to be in Wisconsin and uh, be up there for Thanksgiving. and, uh, And so... Uh, we, we we signed the papers and uh, we went over. I took off all the doorknobs, old old doorknobs with the uh, what do you call those old keys, the skeleton keys. I mean, it had those in it, and it, so it took all those off, put them in baggies, and then uh, Brother Dennis, I'm sure you remember this, he got the youth group together, and while we were away, they went in there, gutted the bathroom, gutted the uh, gutted the um, the kitchen, um, broke up the the clawfoot tub uh, that had coon marks all over it i think we have a picture back there and when we came back the house there were there were significant parts that were gutted like the kitchen all the the cabinets were out and it was gutted and this is what greeted us when we walked into the kitchen laugh and uh you know you know what i'm i'm talking about and it was just a mess and the thought is oh no what did we get in what did we get into like this is, how is this going to end? Now, uh, the Lord at that time had allowed us to get an investor's loan and, and we were able to, uh, to have the money to, to, to put back into it and, and basically rehab it and we were going to uh, live into it. But still, there was an epic amount of work. And so for the next weeks until Christmas... Sheila and I, and and uh, I know Brother Dennis helped out a lot. Brother Tom um, did parts, and and I'm probably forgetting uh, different people that hel- uh, helped out in this this uh, effort. But for the next weeks until Christmas, we did a renovation project on this. I mean, renovation. And uh, we actually did get to a uh, move in right around Christmas, and it was, it was a fast couple of weeks, some all-nighters. Um, Jack was in, you know, in, a, in a room in, inside of plate, um, all-nighters just working there and just getting it done, pounding it out and getting it done, and we were finally able to move into it and move out of our other apartment and, and, and start being there. But, you know, in order to renovate and in order to transform this home into a place where my family could be, uh, it me- meant some things needed to come out. Some things needed to be deconstructed in order for it to be reconstructed. It's not far different than the lives that you and I have. You know, the, the AU you accepted Jesus Christ. Uh, he already owned you by creation, but he redeemed you, we just heard. What does redeem mean? He bought us back. He twice owns us. And when he became your owner for the second time, he had a plan to renovate your life. He had a plan to transform your life. But the, the reality is, though positionally we are redeemed, we are declared righteous, our, our righteousness before God is already accomplished. There's this sense that we are in this, this progressive transforming this this changing into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ while we walk here below while we're in the flesh and he has a plan to renovate to transform you when we talk about transformation we're talking about a thorough and dramatic change a thorough and dramatic change a a change that leaves you looking nothing like you looked like when it when it first started happening And I can tell you in this poem, and I'll share share it with you a little bit later, I can can tell you from from the moment we bought the home to the moment we left that home for the last time, it was a thorough and dramatic change, but there was a lot of deconstruction, a lot of tearing away, a lot of taking out in order to get to that point. You know, in your life, there's a lot of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Tearing away the old way not walking after the former lust anymore and putting on the new man which is created after righteousness and true holiness there's a a change that is having to be made and the fact is god is on a mission to transform your life last week we looked at delighting in the word of god but it is through the word of god that god wants to transform your life this year he wants to change you. You say, oh, he doesn't want to do anything with me. I, I'm, I'm worthless. I, I can't do anything. I always mess up. No, you're wrong. He wants to transform your life. There is not one person in here that, that God does not have a plan to change your life to be more like Christ. If you've not yet accepted him, he wants you to start there. If you have, he wants to change you into the image of his dear son and he is wanting you to put off the old man and put on the new man according to Ephesians 4 and verse number 24. And there's a a church in the New Testament that we've just read a letter to and that church was Corinth. It was planted on the second missionary journey. Paul planted about 20 churches. He traveled about 10,000 miles. I was thinking about that in in his three missionary journeys. I was thinking about the ability we have to travel. We put 10,000 miles on our cars these days, right, in a year. Easy. Think about Paul spent his life traveling and traveling and traveling on foot by, by horse, whatever, to these different places and planting these churches. One of those churches is Corinth. And well, he left Corinth after he had won some to the Lord. He went over to Ephesus and he began to hear, boy, there's some real issues going on in the church. There's some things that they need to put off. There's some things that they need to put aside. There's some sins they need to forsake. There's some sins that they need to repent of and, and move on. Not, not for salvation again, but as believers so that they could be transformed, that they could be changed in the image of his dear son, so that they could put on the new man. And so he writes back the, on the first letter of. Corinthians and we find it's not very long before he gets past the niceties and the greetings and he gets into the meat of the letter and starts saying listen you got to change these things these things are going to hurt you if you continue to to walk on in them and so we've read really what is a summary a, a looking back on that first letter in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is reflecting back, I wrote this letter to you not to, not to hurt you, but to help you to to help you to be transformed by the Word of God. Now, remember, that first letter was the Word of God. It was an inspired Word of God. It was something that, that they needed to hear from God, just as you have opened up the Word of God this morning. Uh, we did not read Josiah Kagan's words. We read the Word of God. This is something God wants us to see. He has preserved it for us today, and he wants us to see and take note of. And so I want us to realize, as they received that first letter of, on, on, to them as the Corinthians, I want us to understand that that letter, the Word of God, exposed their need for trans, on transformation. It exposed a need in their lives. It exposed needs in their corporate body for transformation. Look at verse number 8. For, um, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Mm, though I did repent. Though I did express some regret. Though I did express some, some, some struggle in my heart. For I perceived the same letter hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. So, yeah, that first letter, I mean, it was hard, it was tough, but I, I had to say it. I, the Lord commanded me to say this. The Lord wanted me to share this with you, I find in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 10. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined in the same mind and in the same judgment. Don't let division be there. I want you to be perfectly joined together. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as carnal, even as babe's in Christ and he goes on to speak, hey, there's, there's, there's some factions going on, but I'm not speaking to you as spiritual because that's not the spiritual reality. I'm speaking to you as carnal. And Paul, throughout the letter, dealt over and over and over again with the different sins. W- what was at the base of this? They, they were not being spirit-led. They were being flesh-driven. And if you go to 2 Corinthians, you don't have to turn their market down for later, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 20 you find that there's quite a list of different sins that had become a part of the Corinthian church. And friends, God gives this to us today for our instruction. There's not a, a sin listed in the New Testament that we don't as well struggle with. Right? we got to be real. Sometimes we, we walk in and like, oh, there's, there's nothing going on here. Listen, the reality is the Corinthian church had issues and God put it in there for us to say, huh, we need to consider these things. And notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, there was debates, arguing, and conflict going on. There was enviance. There was jealousy of one another. There was wrath. There was fury. Oh, we're taking anger to another level. Uh, there were, there were blow ups going on. There were strifes, selfish ambitions, the rising above one another. There were ba- uh, backbitings or slander uh, going on within the church. There were whisperings and gossip going on. There were swellings and, and arrogance. So, swelling, you can kind of get the picture. <laughs> It's kind of an interesting word, very, very depictive, but it, it kind of the swelling up, the blowing up of the chest. I, I'm better than you. This, this arrogance that was going on, there were tumults, there were upheaval because of the sin. There was uncleanness going on within the church, immorality and sexual sin and filth. There was fornication going on, sexual sin. The, the root word of that is pornea. We live in a pornographic society. And so didn't they in that society? And God wants to transform us from those things, and want to transform from that as well. There was lasciviousness. You say, what in the world's that word? Unbridled sin. If it feels good, do it. The motto of our age: just live according to your feelings. Your reality, your uh, is your truth, is absolute truth to you. Live however you feel. A lasciviousness, just an unbridled sin. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse uh, uh, 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles, speaking about the lost world, that one should have his father's wife. There was incestuous relationships going on within the church body and the church is going, I don't see anything. I don't see anything going on. Now think about this. One of the issues going on in Corinth, and no doubt there were, there were believers that had a heart for the Lord there, but one of the issues was there was an indifference to sin. There was a callousness to sin. It'll blow over. It'll be okay. There was a callousness, not a sensitivity, a callousness to sin. Woe be to the church. Woe be to us as believers when we get callous to sin. We think, ah, this isn't going to destroy me. This will be okay. God isn't really that bothered with it. He's bothered with theirs, but not with mine. A callousness. And so we have Paul exposing all this in the first letter of, uh, of the Corinthians. Now, I don't know about you if you received that type of letter. Like, whoa, we love you too. There was an interesting relationship between Paul and the Corinthian church. He had won many of them to the Lord. There was an interesting relationship. It was a little bit of a, oh, it could be a, an interesting dynamic. Um, sometimes they were for him. If you open up the first, the first chapter of Second Corinthians, they were upset and they were even questioning his apostleship because he didn't show up on time. He's like, hold up. I'm a, helper of your, I'm a helper of your faith, but I'm not the Lord of your faith. By faith you stand, verse number 24. So why are you getting all bent out of shape? I, I meant to come to you, but I, I was restrained. I couldn't come. So there was a little bit of a, an interesting dynamic going on there. He had led them to the Lord, but there was some struggles, and, and certainly so because he had, he had dealt with some major issues that were going on in the church some issues that we're going to take some well you know it's not exactly if a house could talk and you're tearing off drywall and you're tearing down ceilings and ripping up floors it'd be saying ouch right i mean this is painful and sometimes when god is tearing things out of our lives and exposing things in our lives we say ouch i don't like this this disrupts, this cramps my style. This isn't the way. I don't like this at all. And so that was going on. Can you think back to Nathan the prophet when he came to, when he came to David? And he shares that story about the, the man that had a lamb and a stranger comes into town. His next door neighbor had a stranger come into town and needed uh, to, uh, to feed him. And so he comes over and robs this man's one little lamb and feeds it to his neighbor and and David's like, that's disgusting. That's horrible. I can't believe anyone would do that. Who's this man? We're going to we're going to uh, take care of him. He's going to get justice for all this. And then Nathan goes, "Thou art the man." And he was confronting him about his sin with Bathsheba. Thou art the man. Do you remember the last time the Lord came to you and said, "Thou art the man. Thou art the woman. You're you you have a need for transformation." I'm exposing your need right now. That is not pleasant. That's not pleasant at all. Paul says, I I don't regret it, though I said I did. I'm I'm struggling with this. Really what we see there in those words is Paul just, as a prophet, struggling with the fact that he must deliver a message to a people that the Holy Spirit said to deliver, and it was making them squirm. There are times a pastor, an evangelist, a, a preacher, a teacher is burdened to share a message that in a humanity makes them squirm. Oh, man, this isn't going to be easy. But the burden is so great because the Word of God is there and a faithful preacher must preach the whole counsel of God and he must deliver it. And Paul says, I... I, I I don't regret it, though I said I did. I, I, I struggle. I, I, I was anxious. I worried whether you'd be offended or whether you despise me, whether you turn away from me. I, I worried about that. And he says that in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 3. And I wrote this same letter unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice. So lest when I came I'm finding things all out of whack and then I'm going to have sorrow when I should be having joy in your Christianity and your walk with the Lord. Having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. I, I, I'm so delighted when I see God working in your life, but I didn't want to come and, 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 and in person face the issues of all the sin that was going on. He says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears that ye should be, that, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye should know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. I did it because I loved you, I spoke the truth in love. I brought brought a message via letter, they didn't have email, you couldn't hop on a plane, there were restrictions, not everything happens in person for the Apostle Paul, he needed to send this letter, and so here he is, he's he's torn, and do you know that he doesn't get instant feedback on this? He has to wait for the letter to be delivered, for the letter to be read, for God to work in their hearts, who knows? Did that take weeks? Did that take months before he heard back from Titus? Oh, they listened. They listened. They responded. They they said yes, and and so. I just want us to realize that Paul uh, was, was living out exactly what he had preached to, to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 1. He says, I charge thee, Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick or the alive and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's what he had done. He had spoken to them the truth and love. He had taken the word and given it to them. And I want us to realize this morning from the moment that you believed on Jesus Christ to the moment you you stand before the Father in heaven, Jesus has a plan to transform your life by His word. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 26, it says that He, Jesus, might sanctify the church and cleanse it with a washing of the water by the word. What a beautiful picture. Yesterday, I was trying to get our, our copier working. It, uh, the toner had gotten down in uh, gotten, uh, the, the toner box. The waste toner had gotten full, and so it shut down the copier and wasn't able to print some things. And I, I was trying. We didn't have an extra one on hand, and so I was trying to, to shake it. And m- maybe if I could shake it and, and settle it down, uh, that, that, that waste box would be okay. In shaking, and I had turned it up. I was like, well, I'll go this way. Oh, boy. Boy, it looked like I had just robbed a bank, right? I mean, it just went all over, down my pants. Uh, it, it was, it was the, the, the CMYK colors, right? Uh, down my pants, but I mostly had black all over my hands. I was like, oh, no. You know, is this going to come off? So I went to the sink, and I started washing. Water wasn't working very well, and I needed to get some soap in there, and, and it came off. I was quite surprised. I was very, very thrilled with that. But I'm thankful for the fact that the Word washes our lives. It washes off the blackness of sin. And Jesus is going to transform your life. His plan is to transform your life by the Word. Friends, that's why you need to be in the Word. That's why you need to be in this place and in the Word. We need the Word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. It's what is going to guide us. The truth is what's going to transform us. I'm being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is going to transform your life. Let's get used to that process. Let's welcome that process. He exposed the need. He exposed their need for transformation. And friends, if we do not understand that that exposure is ultimately a good thing, we will get down in our Christian life and get discouraged. This is key. This is key to your growth this year. You need to welcome the exposure of the word. You need to welcome the exposure of the truth. When God pulls back the the, the layer and says, hey, this I need you to deal with. Okay, it's not easy. I'm going to go through it. The exposure of the Word is a good thing. The tearing out of the old drywall, it's a good thing so new drywall can go up. Right? The pulling away of the dirt and the grime and the, and, and the washing of the walls and the, and the pulling up of the old moldy carpet, it's a good thing. Why? So new things can go in that can be useful and be healthy and be good for the sake of the family. It's a good thing. You see, the Bible, D.L. Moody said, was not given just for our information It was given for our transformation. If you look at this as just a a scholastic opportunity, an academic exercise to to walk through and to, to learn details about God, rather than allowing God, the God of the Bible, to transform you, to change you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've missed the point of the Bible. It is to transform us. It's to change us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what God is on a mission to do in your life. Did the Corinthians heed it? Well, I'm thankful they did. You and I need to. Did they heed it? Yes, yes. Notice in verse number nine, notice he says, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, that you sorrowed unto repentance. And I want you to notice that there wasn't just a need for transformation that was exposed. There was a sorrow unto repentance that was embraced. They embraced this. They said, okay, this isn't easy. This is a hard letter to read. This isn't easy, but we embrace it. Now, we all understand there's, we have emotions. We're emotional individuals. Maybe ladies more than guys, but the fact is we all have emotions, and sometimes there's a, an emotional reaction. How, how many of you know when, when the, the searchlight of the Holy Spirit comes up and he, he exposes something in your life, and you're like, you kind of bristle? Sometimes that's a first reaction. And I have no doubt that there's little bit of that first reaction in their, in their lives. Okay, we're human. But friends, what are you going to do with it after, after that first reaction? Are we going to do something with it? They ultimately, what scripture writes down is they embraced it. They sorrowed unto repentance. They, they were sad. Yes, when I find out that I'm dishonoring God, it makes me sad. It ought to. Don't you believe that, friends? It ought to. He says, I, I'm not happy that you were sad. I, I'm not happy that you became sorrowful. And the idea of this becoming sad was that the moment they read this letter, they realized and became sad. In that instant, the this truth, the exposure of the word made them sorry. It made them sad. And so they, they struggled with that. They were sad when their sin was exposed via the, the word of God. It, it was difficult for them They came to a place of brokenness. The Bible says in Psalm 51, David speaking, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. Listen, when God's word brings us to a place of brokenness over our sin, it's not a bad place to be. We need a lot more of that in our day. We have gotten, in, in the American church, we have become very comfortable, similar to the Corinthian church, we have become very apathetic about sin. It's okay. It's a different day. It's 2023. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same sin that bothered God in the garden still bothers God today. The same murmuring that bothered God in the the wilderness still bothers God today. God has not changed. Let's, let's remind ourselves that it was simple disobedience in the garden that got us all this. It was just disobeying. It wasn't like a murder. No, it was just disobeying. And as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. They didn't stew in their sorrow. Their sorrow was unto repentance. It worked repentance in their life. And well, let's just talk about this word repentance. This isn't just changing over a, a new leaf. We, we hear about that especially in some, in some religions say, so, oh, I'm going to go over and repent and turn over a new leaf as a self-work, as a self-effort to be good enough for God. That is not biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is a change of mind. That change of mind does result in a change of direction, a, cha- a change of action, sometimes that, that you see immediately, sometimes you, it, it, it takes some time, but that change of mind, because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, So when I change my mind about my sin, it changes how I go about my life. So here we are. We're not talking about someone coming to salvation right here. These these are believing individuals. In matters of salvation, the Bible says that we are to place faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. In that moment of placing faith on Jesus Christ, there is a turning from my my own way, my own self-righteousness. Oh, Jesus is the way to have eternal life. I can't get there on my own merit. Baptism doesn't save me. Church attendance doesn't save me. I am focusing on him. And so really in the matter of salvation, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. But when we're talking here about the matter of believers who are engaged in sin, this matter of repentance is this, this change of mind. I, I'm doing wrong. Mm, this grieves my heavenly father. I must, I must change my ways. And uh, so it's a change of mind first and foremost, and the rest comes from there. And so literally, the word means a reconsideration. Mm, I was being calloused about this sin before, but I see from God's standpoint this really grieves him. I can't go on this way anymore. Something has to change. God wants, God wants it to be different. He says, you were made sorry after a godly manner in a godly way. What does Paul mean by that? In God's way, as opposed to man's way, what had Paul done? He had simply taken the truth of God's word when he wrote that letter, and he expressed love to them, and he delivered it in love. It was going to be a difficult letter for them to read, but he delivered it in love. That is God's way. The truth delivered in love. The truth motivated by love. He didn't want them to be damaged. He didn't want them to go on in their sin, which was going to destroy their life. He was going to deliver this to them in, in love. And, 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 and it, it didn't mean that Paul pulled back and, and lessened the amount of things that he confronted. He simply delivered it in love. He, he said, hey, listen, these, these, these sins are going to destroy you. And I love you, and I want you to, I want you to change. I want... I want God's best for your life. And, and so he delivers it in that way. It was intended to lead them to changing their minds and therefore changing their lives, their behavior to honor, honor God. Lenski said this. The mistake made by many a preacher is to endeavor to induce a painless, griefless repentance. In other words, it's all good. We don't want to rock the boat. We want to dabble in people, we don't want to meddle in people's sin. We just want to pat people on the back and say, it's all good. We're all going to get to the other side. No, the Bible speaks here. There's times in our lives where we need to come to a place where we are sorrowing, that we have grieved God, that we have disobeyed his word, so that we can be in fellowship with him. God doesn't want us to stay there. It's a sorrowing unto repentance, unto that change of mind. So here's a question for us. This is the second Sunday of 2023. There are some 150 services with God's help that we will be together. I or someone else will be standing in this pulpit. Some 150 services this year. 365 days less this past week that we have the opportunity to open up the Word of God and to read it it's a lot of opportunity to be exposed by the word, isn't it? And you be guaranteed that in your life and my life, God's going to do some exposing of need for transfer, uh, transformation. I've not arrived. You've not arrived. It's not going to always be easy. And it wasn't easy for the Corinthians when they were when exposed Do you know in the first letter, Paul tells the Corinthian believers who snitched? He says it's been commonly reported by the house of Chloe. Sorry, Chloe. But you know what's interesting? I mean, it got real. Was that easy? It won't be easy for us this year either. But if we believe that it's ultimately a good thing for God to expose, to expose our need, because it's going to make us more like Jesus, then we can welcome that. We can embrace that sorrow to repentance, knowing that it's a process to make us look more like our, our Redeemer. And so, my question to us this morning is what should our response be when in reading the Bible and hearing it preached and taught, counseled? What should our response be when we're confronted with our need for transformation, when we're confronted with our need for a dramatic, thorough change? What should our response be? I'm going to give us some responses, and I I can identify with every single one of these throughout my life, and I imagine you can too. I have have responded in each of these ways. And with God's help, I want to respond like the last one I'll give us. We can run from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I don't like what the Word of God just said. I'm going to avoid the conviction. I'll just just remove myself from any, any place where that conviction is going to be brought. Anytime the Word is going to be brought where it's going to convict me of my need or convince me of my need for trans, uh, transformation. It, I don't want to be in a place of exposure. I don't want to, I don't want to have, have that happen. I don't want that pain. I don't want that, that sorrowing. I, I don't want that, so I'm going to avoid it altogether. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you how many have been there before? I'll, I'll just avoid. I'll avoid the places where I know I'm going to hear the Word of God I'm going to avoid the people that I know are going to uh, voice the word of God. I'm going to avoid it. I'm just going to run from the conviction. That's one response we could do. Or we could respond in this way. I'm going to argue with the conviction. I'm going to prove my innocence. I'm going to justify my actions. Boy, I can think of periods of my life, times of my life trying to justify myself before God. Arguing with the Holy Spirit. Mm. You talk about fruitless times. I think that was most of my teenage years. Right there. Arguing with the Holy Spirit. My dad used to say that you'd make a good lawyer someday, you could argue. Uh, I argued with my God. When David says, remember not the sins of my youth, I pray that with him because I know how stupid and foolish I was as a, as, as a, a I shouldn't use that word, but the kids are down there. You know what I'm saying. Arguing with God. Ah, it's not that bad. I'm better than them. Justifying it. Justifying it. Or, here's another way. We become reactive towards the messenger. We get angry against the one who brought the message. Now, this happened with the Corinthian believers. They, they were a little bit sore that Paul had sent this message along, and he had to, he had to work with them. Ultimately, they came around, but he had to work with, with them on a, being angry against the conviction, to, to, to bristle against it, but to stay at that point of bristling. I, I don't want this, and I'm, I'm furthermore mad at you for delivering the truth. We need to remember in those moments, we need to go back, was this the word of truth? Was it delivered spitefully? In other words, was it delivered to injure me? Truth sometimes hurts, cuts cross cross grain, but was it delivered to injure me? No. The Bible says faithful, the ruins of a friend. It doesn't mean it's easy to to deliver that. It wasn't easy for Paul to give that, but it it was for their good, and and so being angry against him, really, it didn't make a whole lot of sense because he's just trying to, to help. Be angry against the messenger. Or to find fault in others. Oh, this is really easy, friends. I've done this. I get convicted about my need for transformation. God exposes a sin in my life. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. See there, if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a prayer of the psalmist, but too often we're not, we're not ready for that, right? So, Here God exposes something, the searchlight of his word exposes something. And then all of a sudden, I'm like the disciples. Well, they're doing that too. And so aren't they. And they're doing it worse than I'm doing it. And we try to avert the conviction. Try to displace the conviction. Put the conviction somewhere else. Well, once they get right about it, maybe I'll think about getting right about it. You know, that's a wrong response that will not help you, you will not grow into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ as long as you are looking anywhere else. When the Holy Spirit's conviction comes upon your your life, when the exposure of the word comes, and you're looking down the pew, well, what about them? No, 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 no. What about me? What about me? What we need to do is accept the conviction like they ultimately did. And embrace, embrace the exposure of the word. Now this is maturity. This is spiritual maturity. Immaturity looks like I don't like the conviction. I'm going to run from it. I'm going to avert it. I'm going to get angry at it. That's spiritual immaturity. Spiritual maturity realizes this is ultimately for my good and the glory of God. Therefore, I'm going to embrace it and allow it to have its fruitful work in my life. Can we get an amen there? Isn't that the reality? Now, again, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have some maturing to do in that? And I'll raise my hand on that one. Like there, there's there's the need for the maturing in this, in this way. We need to accept it in the, the, the spirit of the song. It's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Right? I'm the one in need. Not my brother, not my sister. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother, not my father. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my neighbor, not a stranger. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm the one. I'm the one. David's like, where? Let's find that guy. No, you're the man. Ouch. We can resent the exposure of the word, but if we let it, it will bring about a sorrow unto repentance, a sorrow that goes somewhere, a sorrow that doesn't leave us wallowing, a sorrow that goes somewhere. brings about change in our lives. And we live in a day of political correctness. To offend with the truth is an ultimate crime. Have you found that to be the case? Don't you dare speak the truth. There's so much self-censoring that goes on in our day over that. But the reality is the truth needs to be declared and needs to be accepted. And it needs to have its perfect work in our life. Sometimes as we look at this passage, we look at the, the response, the sorrow, and we're like, oh, because there's sorrow, that means I did the wrong thing. As the message bearer, I did the wrong thing. Remember, it's the word of God. It's the inspired word of God that brought about this response in the Corinthians' lives. It was the word of God that exposed the need. And so they're being upset at a Paul, was ultimately them being upset at the God who said, send the message. Now, understand this. There is a difference, and the Bible explains this, and this is where we're going to come to a conclusion in verse number 10. There is a difference between godly sorrow and sorrow that's after the world. There's a difference, and Paul goes on to explain this. He says in verse number 10, for godly sorrow worketh or accomplishes, repentance how do you know it's godly sorrow sorrow that god wants to be happening in our lives god's will for for this to be happening in our lives is the idea how do we know it is god's will how do we know this is what god desires well it accomplishes repentance it accomplishes a reconsideration It, it accomplishes a change of mind so i can think back to times where i bristled against the the word of the lord and bristled and bristled but ultimately god won thank god praise his name, he won out, and there was finally a submission to his word. Finally, a standing with God. Can you think of times like that in your life? Oh, that as we get closer to heaven's shores, that the time of that bristling and the time of going like this becomes shorter and shorter. Keep short accounts with God. You know it's godly sorrow when it works repentance when it brings you to a place of reconsidering, no, God's word says this, and I agree with it. I agree. It accomplishes repentance unto deliverance, is the word salvation, unto deliverance from the sin, from what we have been struggling with, not to be regretted, not to be repented of, not to be like, oh man, I'm so sad that I gave up that sin. You know, he says it works, it accomplishes a repentance, a change of mind. Whereas you look back on it, thank God he delivered me from that. Thank God he helped me through that addiction. Thank God he, he's given me victory in that, in that arena. And so, so a good illustration of this godly repentance is what happened with Peter. Remember, right before he died, uh, Jesus, I will never deny you. Uh, if, we, if I have to go to death, I'll go all the way to death with you. I, I'll never deny you. I, I, I'll never deny you. And he says, before the cock crows thrice, twice, you're going to deny me three times. Happened. Peter argued, by the way. Never argue with the word of God, you'll never win. He argued but after he had denied him three times, he looks over and the Bible says Jesus looked at him and all Jesus had to do, the living incarnate word, all Jesus had to do is stare into his life, just like all the word has to do is stare into your life. You're like, oh. What it said would happen, happened. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 26, Verse 75, and Peter remembered the word, the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. In that moment, we have the decision as whether we're going to get angry at the messenger or avert the conviction or run from it. Peter in that moment went out and sorrowed. But we know it was a godly sorrow because later on in John chapter 21 when Jesus came to the seashore and he's out fishing, he says, hey, come, I already got breakfast prepared for you. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Well, I, I love you. Feed my sheep. I got a plan for your life. Do you really love me? I, I, I love you. You know all, you know all things. I, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You've asked me a third time. What are you asking me for again? I, I do love you. You know all things. Then feed my sheep. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 36. He stands up on the day of Pentecost. He declares to the, to the, to the group of people who a representation of them around that fire he had denied... Just several weeks before, he stands up and says, Hey, you have put him on the cross, and the one that you put on the cross is both Lord and Christ. And he declared Jesus firmly that day, standing and identifying with Jesus. He was restored, he repented, it changed. You fast forward a little bit into the book of Acts, you find him doing exactly what Jesus said for him to do and to go and and seek out other churches that had been planted and other believers and feed them and nurture them and pastor them and help them along exactly in obedience to what Jesus had said on the seashore of Galilee. He was restored. The, um, The sorrow, the exposure of the truth worked and it was a godly working. Friends, that doesn't always happen in one week's time. Sometimes that's months. Sometimes that's years. But the reality is, godly sorrow is going to lead to repentance. It's going to lead to the the change of mind that results in a change of action. The sorrow of this world is different. It's what Satan desires to do with the sorrow. It all starts at the same place it's the exposure of the Word. It's the word has exposed my need. But Satan desires to take that moment and he desires to accomplish death, separation, despair, acquitting. He desires to, to ruin our lives in that moment. And we see that in Judas's life. Judas betrayed Christ for a measly amount of money comparatively. After the fact, after he realized he had betrayed an innocent man, the Bible says he goes back to the chief priests and he casts the money down before them. They say, we won't, we won't receive this. It's blood money. We won't, we're not legally allowed to receive this. So he, he casts it down before them, and he leaves, and the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27 that he, that he went out, he departed, and hanged himself. Committed suicide. Exactly what Satan wanted to happen. Rather than responding and getting right with Christ, well, wouldn't that have been such an amazing thing? There was a, a death that came about. Others we can see in Scripture that responded similarly, a Cain, an Esau, a King Saul, There's a remorse, but there's not a repentance. Oh man, sorry I was caught. There's a remorse, but not a repentance. And and so here it is. He is is, uh, struggling with this worldly type of sorrow. He's exposed by the word, exposed by the incarnate word. I've committed this betrayal of an innocent man. Godly sorrow. God wants to bring us to a point of, you're right, Lord. Commentator McDonald says this, that man realizes that God is speaking to him. And so he takes sides with God against himself and against his sin. You know what will make this a growing year for you? Is when you take God's side against your sin. You don't try to justify it. Lord, thanks for exposing me once again. I'd I'd sure like to be done with this, but Lord, I accept it once again. Like our house built in 1920 that had to be deconstructed and gutted out down to the studs in some areas, torn up flooring, tearing out lath and plaster. what a messy what a messy, dusty thing that was. but it had to happen in order for it to truly be transformed and think uh, back to that house. we enjoyed it. it was several uh, stories but that's what the house turned out to be it's nice but the old had to go sometimes we don't realize what Jesus Christ is trying to do in our lives he's trying to make you like himself you'll like the finished product we don't like the process The old has to go. And the only way for it to go is when it's exposed by the word and when you embrace the sorrow into repentance. Only way. Don't let Satan get the best of you. Don't let him bring about death in your life. He can do that many different ways. He can, Satan is a master advertiser. He can Photoshop that to look like the best way. But Satan's plan for you in that moment when you're exposed by the word In that moment, he wants to bring about death in your life. Jesus does not. There's always hope. Go feed my sheep. I have a plan for your life. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. From the moment we believed on Christ till the moment we see his face, he plans to transform us by his word. That's what he wants to do in your life. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, In the mirror, the glory of the Lord in the pages of Scripture, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he wants to do today and and this week as you read the Word and as you uh, apply this message. He wants to do that so desperately in your life and he wants to do that in the lives of others. But you, you must accept the exposure. You must embrace the sorrowing to repentance you must realize God is trying to do something. He's not trying to destroy me. Satan wants to do that. God wants to, he wants to transform me. He wants to change me into his image. And what a day that'll be when we get to see him face to face. We're in his presence. And we've allowed that change to happen. And I challenge you to accept the exposure of the word and be continually transformed. Continually. Continually this year. Challenge you in that way. And may we just pause right now, before we leave, and ask God, give him permission to transform you. I found my heart as I was preparing this, asking God, knowing that it might be painful, but asking God to transform my life this year. Would you join me in that? Would we, would we be tired enough of the old way of living that we would want Jesus to transform us this year, to change us, to make us more like Him this year? Let's ask Him. And it starts there. So bow with me in prayer this morning. Let's ask Him. I invite you in this moment, I think it's clear what we need to ask Him, so I'll not belabor that. But if you'd like to find your knees, just bow before the Lord and ask Him, Lord, I, I want you to transform me this year. I want you to transform me now. But let's pray all across the auditorium. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.